Okay, what I'm thinking at this point, and you'll have to judge for yourself whether this is possible, but let's see, is that we try and get some good distance between whatever and wherever you've just arrived from, beyond the headphones or speakers, out there in the wide world full of unpredictability. And we're going to attempt to make this happen by trying a simple breathing technique, one which I'm pretty new to, but had it explained to me in a nice and straightforward way, and I'm really enjoying it's called Ujjayi breath, or ocean breath. I'll give you the very swift basics and then you can try some out before we get going. Okay, so you're doing the basics right now, simply breathing, and have been since we started. The thing is with Ujjayi is that it just needs a little accentuating touch to it. So just inhale through the nose, nice and deep, and kind of aim it towards the belly if you can do that. Once you're there, exhale as if you're trying to steam up a window to scribble a message on with your finger. Essentially, it's supposed to sound like this. So I'll give you some space to try out some of these before we begin. Try with your mouth closed too, with everything taking place in the nostrils. Take your time. You, you know what, I'll play some music while you get set up. Welcome to Blue Mind. Hopefully by now we have a bit of ground between the outside world and the Blue Mind bubble. What's cool about those breathing exercises is that without any real extra effort, you're there in the present and not drifting off. Something about coming back to the breath really anchors us in the moment. It's been so interesting over the past few years seeing how much focus has been given to the simple act of breathing. It's almost like before this breath renaissance, I guess we could call it for now, most of us were just involuntarily doing the breathing motions, not even giving it a second thought. I have to say in my case, this was definitely true. I feel like since the middle of the 20 teens, I've never given my breathing so much attention to the point where I start to question myself, was I even breathing before that? You're listening to the Blue Mind podcast from Haeckel's in Margate. Think of this as your auditory escape hatch, your safe space and your world within or outside of the world. It can be an escape or an entrance, a journey of discovery or straight up relaxation time, whatever works for you. I'm your host, Buddy Peace, and mine will be the voice you'll hear narrating throughout. So, let me familiarise you with the schedule here in the Blue Mind podcast. As a kind of bird's eye view of the whole episode, there are two sections featuring specially selected guests, followed by a meditation. So let's imagine that said bird with the view has swooped in closer to get a better view of things. The specially selected guests are people I chatted to, and you'll be hearing narrated and edited interviews with them, which goes into their disciplines, inspirations, work, and so much more besides. 
It's similar to what you might know as a regular podcast in that sense, but with a chance to reflect in more detail on their responses and contributions. This episode features two music makers who both spend time creating their sonic universes in the more ambient realm. We'll get more into their stories and styles as we go on, but just by way of introductions, the first guest you'll hear from is Joseph Kamaru, aka KMRU, originally from Nairobi, Africa, but now finding his home in Berlin. His music is very ambient, earthy and dreamy, including field recordings from his surroundings in Africa and a good amount of sonic manipulation and instrumentation. After that, we'll be joined by Justin Robinson over there in Monterey in California. He makes meditative and generative music, which over time has evolved to incorporate elements of ASMR sound design. So I'm sure you've heard of this, but if not, I'll explain all as we travel. And he also does a fair bit of live streaming too, which includes all of these elements. It was a genuine treat to speak to both of these music makers as I make music myself and, okay, slightly self-indulgently, I get a chance to nerd out about music for an hour or so. I never said this podcast doesn't give me any rewards now, did I? But I'm also a really big fan of what they're doing. Again, I'll explain all as I get to them, but I can safely say that they were so effortlessly great to talk to and I really think you'll get a nice charge of hearing what they're up to and what they're focusing on. As regular listeners will know, Following these guest sections, you'll also be treated to an equally indulgent meditation, crafted especially by the fantastic Lottie, a professional therapist up in Heckel's house in Margate. In between these sections, we'll be taking some thought breaks, which for the Heckel's Blue Mind podcast, take the place of regular ad breaks, giving us all a chance to breathe, take in what we've just heard and prepare ourselves for what follows. This episode is full to the brim, so let me see how I can balance things out. I know there's a lot to get to with this one. With all this in mind, I'll give you some nice space here to just shake things out, settle in, buckle up and get cosy. And then I'd say we're in pretty good shape to get going. Does that sound good? All right. I'll meet you back here in a sec. I was always certain that I wanted to include something of a disclaimer in this episode to do with how I refer to genres of music and the kind of music made by the guests and people we reference. So just for some personal context, as somebody who has spent over a decade in total working in record shops, genre names can be a very tricky, prickly little element of any given day. The incorrect placement of a record or CD in a genre section can mean it being missed completely but it can also mean that it goes to a customer who's looking to take a chance and found something perfect. I became really tuned to these weird little nuances and subtleties of genre. As a learning experience, it was incredible, but also maddening as I was categorising everything I listened to. Where would this go? Where would I put that? I found myself having these conversations in my head like all the time. I'm saying all of that to say this. You'll hear me using the term ambient pretty freely throughout this episode and maybe others. I'm very aware that this genre can mean a world of different things to every single person listening, but I use it for shorthand to mean essentially music which doesn't always contain a regular pulse or rhythm, contains extensive drone or sustained notes and chords perhaps, 
and more than likely incorporates found sounds, field recordings, tape hiss, static and so on. My use of the term ambient is not a limiting bubble by any means, but as I say, it's shorthand. For two very speedy references and touchstones of music in this area, you could have a listen to Brian Eno's Music for Airports, which comes up later on, or Aphex Twins' Selecting Ambient Works Volume 2 for a nice quick starter. There are hundreds and thousands more, but that's just two off the top of my head. Joseph Kamaru, or Kamaru if you like, is a sound artist from Nairobi, the capital of Kenya, (laughs) but is currently studying in Berlin. And you know what? Here's me introducing him. Joseph, if you would. Cool, cool. So, hello, my name is Kamaru, Joseph Kamaru. Um, Kamaru pronounces Kamaru, a sound artist and field recordist um, from Nairobi, Kenya, but currently based in Berlin. I moved here for my master's in sound studies and lots of school and also like settling in. Going by the artist name of KMRU, he has released a good amount of material on a variety of labels. And I found his music on the digital music platform Bandcamp, which is a website allowing independent artists to sell their music in high quality formats, in a sense becoming their own record shops. So you can imagine how much I love Bandcamp then. A quick glance on the Kenya Tourism website will let you know that Nairobi is a city that never seems to sleep. The entire town has a boundless energy and is a thriving place where all of human life can be found. Ambient music, insomnia, and boundless energy are three elements which aren't often found at the same party, let's say. So it was immediately interesting to discover Kamaru, who spends his time on the sun-baked, crackly, and dense, drone-filled side of the musical spectrum. Yes, so yeah, I've been born and raised in Nairobi, Kenya, which is in East Africa. It's my first time moving outside and living outside, like, home. Yeah, Nairobi is... It's like the capital of Kenya, which is very active and how I could like describe it out of like the musical context. It's just the place is very active and there's so much that's happening. There's so many businesses around even late at night and it's always just this life there. And that's what I miss part about like Nairobi being here. <laughs> it must be pretty full on moving to Europe as your first place away from home. Also, just to come back to what I was saying about ambient music in Kenya, speaking of not being found at the same party, Kenya isn't somewhere in my mind with an association to ambient music, which makes Joseph's story all the more interesting. It's not through ignorance either, my lack of ambient musical knowledge around Africa. I really wish I'd made the KMRU discovery earlier, but I'm so happy I found his music, and if you haven't heard him before, I'm very happy to share the discovery with you. But back to the move and his moving around. Maybe there are some similarities in where he's from and coming to somewhere with a more city-like backdrop. Yeah, growing up, I used to like stay near the city, which was like very few um, meters away from home. And I was raised in this um, residential called Karyoko, which is like an estate or flat. Was raised there for 16 years, then moved outside the city, which really had a huge impact for myself as a career and also like my practice in sound because I usually think or even tell my family that if we didn't move like to this new place I don't think I'd be a musician (laughs) yeah and it was this move that really unlocked the door to so much of what we can hear in Joseph's music this change in environment allowed a complete change in sonic attention 
almost like a layer of noise was stripped from the sonic makeup of where he was living. This new place called uh, Rongai, it's like 45 minutes away from the city, but it's just developing at the moment. And when we moved there like six years ago, we had like no neighbors and it was just super calm and full of nature and so many sounds around me compared to where I was staying, which was more urban, more city sounds. And our apartment was just next to the main highway. And also like the space was smaller, living with my brothers. And yeah, moving to this new home, I had, I think, things slowed down that I could listen more and just be aware of my surroundings and also being in school because we moved into this new place when I was in high school. And that's when I started music or taking music seriously. Then in my university, discovering like I could make music on my laptop. I had already moved to this new home and that's where I just moved the desk in my room, became my workspace. And I remember me cutting the desk to like my room and being super grateful that I did that. I have to say, I know that feeling well, that well-earned sense of having worked towards improving your own working environment, even something that you could easily take for granted, like a desk. For those of us who work with things like laptops, music equipment, or even stationery and pads and so on, the desk is like the plate that the food goes on. Joseph's journey had only just begun, though. The move and the working situation didn't suddenly mean that he had it all sorted. There were still some creative moments waiting to happen. Then I didn't have a recorder. I just, I think I bought my recorder after I moved there and I didn't have a sound card and I bought the Zoom as a sound card. Then this became now as like my tool to be in the field. Sorry, Joseph, I'm just going to pause you really quickly. Now, just in case you're unfamiliar with recording and music making and at the risk of mansplaining, which is something I would never want to do. The Zoom to which Joseph refers to is a sound recorder. They do indeed share their name with the popular networking platform over which this was also recorded. But the other Zoom is the onboard microphone recorder. Also, the phrase sound card basically means interface between recorder and computer. You can use these Zoom recorders as a way of bringing sound into your computer, essentially. But back to you, Joseph. But what really, I guess, triggered my sense of like awareness or listening or being aware of my environment was I was in this residency. The, the whole residency was based on a train journey from Nairobi to like the coastal side of Nairobi called Kilifi. The trip was almost 16 hours. And during the whole journey, we were making stuff, like creating. It was a multidisciplinary residency, like artists, visual artists, painters, dancers, and every, like writers. And the, the goal was to create something throughout this journey. Then I had this iPod, this was in 2017. I was fascinated by this train sound because it's this old, slow, like sort of charcoal train. <laughs> and it was so hot, so many people inside just trying to make some, like create. And I was intrigued by like the train sound, like it was just in my head. I had this iPod, then I hung my earphones like with the iPod because they have like this tiny mic and recorded like some train sounds. And this wasn't like really intentional for me. It was, 
yeah, this sounds like interesting and yeah, you know, when when you listen to something for a very long time and very repetitive, you hear like new sounds and this was my trigger then. I did record this and my idea was maybe to use them as like samples to make a track because back then I was my music was also beat driven like those like drums and patterns during the residency I made like another artist is called Leon who we made like these tracks based on these strange sounds and since then yeah it's just being whereas like there's so much sound I was just also amazed that uh yeah there's like this kind of music which led me to explore more works based um on field recordings yeah Trains are such interesting vehicles. From the outside, they're just A to B containers made of metal, ready to shift groups of people from one spot to another. But inside, the contained atmosphere, the smell, the murmur of people mingled with the subtle hypnotic machine sounds, or indeed abrupt wake-up inducing screams and booms, and the gentle sway of the tracks can all combine to put us in a collective trance. Not always. But when you're in that sweet spot between awake and relaxed and calm, almost like when the sun is setting, it can really transport your senses and brainwaves. Noticing that repetitive train noise is something that I can completely relate to. Perhaps if you make music, you'll have been nodding throughout to what Joseph was saying there. Sometimes it can sound like calm techno. This feels like a really crucial moment for Joseph, noticing the rhythms and the random the sounds of the outside world, ready to be captured, tamed, and released into those waveforms on his computer. When I started recording, I usually carry my recorder every time, like in my bag. For me then, it was just this excitement that there's so much sound around me and I want to capture everything. But I realized we are also in constant recording with our ears, but we're not like hitting record, but like our brains are recording all the time when you're outside. So at the moment, it's become more intentional. Like, why do I need to like go outside and capture the sound? It has to have like a discourse or like context why I'm in the field. This is something I remember when I got my first digital recorder. The old saying, when you have a hammer, everything is a nail. I was walking through parks where I lived and through the built-up town areas, clutching my Ederol R09 with headphones on, just recording for hours. It's like walking around with headphones plugged into an audio microscope. You hear the rustle of your own clothing, your breath, suddenly a voice from the right from somebody walking 20 meters away, a bird singing that you can't see in your immediate view. It's all there. Speaking of that hypnotic train scenario, it is genuinely transportive. You can get lost if you're not careful. But when you click stop on that recorder, I always think of it like in that scene in Ghostbusters where they catch their first ghost in that little smoking box. You just captured sounds that no one else has. No one else ever will. I mean, not to make it too grandiose, but when you think about it, you've literally created history. Am I exaggerating? Maybe. But I do love the idea of the uniqueness of field recording. Oh, on a quick note, field recording, another term which might sound like one thing but doesn't quite mean that, is basically recording outside in the open world. So how does Joseph's journey from that hot, sweaty 16-hour train ride out of town 
proceed to his next stop on the musical map, to his current process. I think maybe listening to like everything, because maybe I can start like from the scene in Nairobi when I was DJing and playing techno and house music. Then I got bored a bit and I was still making my ambient stuff, making like more texture-based sounds without drums. I think for me it was being exposed to like different styles of music and like noise. Also like discovering artists who are just making and just staying open-minded and using sound as like their main source of composition. And my trigger was when I realized, when I bought my Zoom and realized that there was so much sound, I contextualized like objects like every object has their own sound and that's why most of my composition is like very neaty sounds where I pay so much attention to like the details of like the tiny sounds because um, we have so much sound around us and the layering I think it became when last year I stopped using the metronome or like the grid to make my music so I just approach it like on a very free maybe somewhat improvised because yeah I just like plug in my stuff and start recording even sometimes just one take recordings just evolving for example how I approach if I'm writing a piece with a field recording maybe it's four minutes I can use that as my base for composition and now I'll write a piece based on this snapshot that I took while I was outside, yeah. It's interesting, that whole turning off the metronome and going off-grid thing. When you use software to put music together and you record notes or sounds into it, one of the first things the software will do is start producing a metronome click. It's trying to help you keep the rhythm based on the beats per minute you've got dialed into it. Once you've recorded into it, depending on the way you've done it, you can set the sounds to a grid divided up into beat divisions. This is called quantizing. Once you quantize, your work is now aligned to the grid and will play along nice with the metronome. You can also give it swing, which adjusts the lean towards or fall behind of the beat too. Joseph's music really is a loose, liquid and non-gridded affair, which somehow adds to the natural feel of it. Nature isn't gridded or quantized, but it does contain patterns. There's life to what Joseph makes. Just being outside, for example, right now, if I open my window, I'm going to hear like different sounds. It's like constantly moving. And if I don't record or like if I'm just listening, it'll go and maybe it'll come back or maybe this bird is going to fly again and produce the same noise and this is how I try and approach composition or like producing where maybe I have a set of tools I want to use if I'm I'm recording some of my projects I won't hit pause I'll just keep going and if I make a mistake I'll just maybe embrace it and let it stay yeah yeah that's how like outside things happen there's so much commotion and so many different noises I was curious, though, about his family and where he stands in his whole family setup. Everyone in the family is different. Yeah, like my dad is just like in his retirement. He was working in the government and my mom business oriented. My brother is only one who got into sort of music. He got a piano and started taking classes. And this like 
brought us more closer together because I understood music theory and I understand how the piano works. I can play a bit. My younger brother is just into soccer <laughs> and I'm the only one into like music. Yeah. I, I try and keep up and share with them everything that I'm doing and yeah, they're super supportive and yeah, super grateful also like they let me do music. Music isn't considered something that you leave off in Africa or like even in Kenya. Like even like African countries or families wouldn't allow you to pursue music in your bachelor's. But also I realized this because in my second year of uni is when I had like this phase where I was like, I'm doing music as a life thing and I'm, I'm in Nairobi, what can I do? What can I get out of this? And the thing is like in my university, then if I was still there, I'd most probably be teaching because I was also playing classical guitar and I was, I was already teaching like kids since my second year, just like to get some money although still staying outside like in my parents house but it's difficult just to leave off music like being based there you just have to work super hard and be good at what you're doing and I think realizing that in in my university like gave me this boost just to, like learn what I'm doing and understand like DAWs, understand like everything I was just like taking it all in and it really helped me I guess <laughs> yeah that's so nice to hear that he had support around him though it's not always a given that a family might see music as a viable career path so that's great that he had the necessary encouragement to see him along the path especially from a family of such diverse disciplines I think from my like conventional music theory like learning and understanding how how chords or like how instruments work then breaking it and focusing more on like the sound aspect rather than the music or like melody harmony drums that's when like i think things started opening up and it's it's always like learning even that's why i'm here for my masters just to continue deeper in this journey of experiencing and experimenting with sounds and understanding like sound in a deeper context than music yeah just constantly creating you improve your ear and also like understand more of your tools that you're using yeah experiencing experimenting understanding those three words will take you a long way on the musical path actually most paths thinking about it Speaking of his family though, although there are a lot of different worlds and paths existing simultaneously, he does join the path of one family member in particular. He actually shares more than a path though, he shares a name too. I'll let Joseph pick up and explain more. I'll leave this one to him but I'll include some sound clips where I can. You'll hear why. There's so much about my grandfather. It's only until his later years that I really got to understand his music more because he was from a very old, like the 50s generation musician and I wasn't born. Also growing up, I knew my grandfather was a musician and um, I, I just knew he was famous and that was named after him, like Joseph Kamaru. I was like popular in school and class like since primary and high school and also my university because I had this music affiliation in primary school I was playing I was just like interested in music I wasn't playing instrument I just tried playing the flute 
played in high school, I got to like playing guitar and I used to sing also, which yeah, I stopped. <laughs> I can hear my voice, like it's breaking and stuff. Yeah. So my grandfather was a musician like in Nairobi and he was so influential, like in the community where I come from, which is Kikuyu and his music was political and also from his music right now, I understand that he had so much to share about the country and like the people, like his music really was to the people. He was also against what was happening, like in Kenya, like there's so much political sort of misgovernances that he was singing in his music, for example, like assassinations or like just speaking about what's happening then during like the first president. And it's interesting because he was also affiliated with the president's family, like they were friends, but sometimes his music was against what he's doing, which brought like conflicts to himself. And, and that's something like very, um, in a situation that sometimes people couldn't understand like my grandfather's music or why he's singing about this. And, but the thing is that the music really resonated with the larger community, not even like only people from Kikuyu community, but like the wider audience. For example, I remember this, this song which he sang and the second president who's called Moi wasn't sure why people like really liked the, the song and he asked my grandfather to translate it into English and paid him like 8,000 euros to translate it just to understand why it resonated so much with the, with the people. And at the time, there's this song, it's called Ndaria Mwarimo, which um, speaks out then what like how men had like influences in school amongst like the girls and just brought lots of questions like in the government if the song should be banned because it was speaking out it was like so clear that what's happening in schools then my grandfather was going through all this but eventually for example this specific song like got an honorary later in the year and yeah for me I'm, I just came to understand like more of his music later because that's when we really connected and he used to come to my home and we just talk together or like teach me about like life music also we wanted to make a song together because I, I just started producing and I was excited that I can record like in the studio and understand like the setups and everything yeah then I was playing the guitar and he was more of a guitarist and vocalist and he taught me like some chords when I was learning my guitar and also his his guitarist in the band his lead guitarist in the band was my teacher was my tutor and I used to go like to his home just to take lessons from from his guitarist yeah yeah there's so much I can say about my grandpa like but 
he was more of a friend to me and I really appreciate that his music and also that I decided to like carry on like with the musical like journey the family despite being super like different and diverse <laughs> styles of music So Joseph Kamaru the Elder was making some controversial moves in the scene, it sounds like. It's a daring thing to do, especially in some places in the world where such themes in creative works could be seen as an attack and not taken too kindly, perhaps. It's awesome that they played music together, though, and found that connection. I think that's fantastic. Back to the music then, and this is something I thought about a lot before I spoke to Joseph. In order to make this stuff... And I've been mentioning bits and pieces of gear along the way. How does he get hold of what he needs? In the UK, we've been pretty spoiled in that most things we want, we can usually get hold of in an order one day, receive it the next type of situation. But in Africa, I feel like this is a very different reality for Joseph. So how does that side work? It's true, it's true, yeah. yeah. I just started with my dad's laptop and like we have earphones this is maybe 2015 or 2016 I have this photo like in my room with headphones that my dad brought me when he traveled <laughs> and I'd borrowed his laptop his work laptop for doing my assignments in school in university and yeah for laptops it's easy because there's so many distributors like selling this in in Kenya and stuff but music equipment is when it arrives in Nairobi it's like so expensive, like sound cards, like the small Focusrite sound card, which costs maybe 90 euros is double the price. And the, the issue is it's easy buying stuff online, but when it comes, it's like so much money you have to pay and you, you've, you've saved to buy a synth and the tax wants you to pay the same amount of money you've paid to buy. <laughs> yeah. But like we just... We just use what we have and we make, we just like make so much use of it and yeah. <laughs> and only getting like what I need. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've always appreciated those post and delivery people so much. But it really gives me an advanced appreciation when I hear about these kind of long waits, especially when it's to do with music gear. You just want to make the stuff. But that wait and making use of what you have, I feel like that's also a valuable restriction. You can swamp yourself in software and hardware and not make a single thing. Joseph has a minimal setup, but really gets the absolute most from it all. Basically, that's my my small setup. Yeah, I have like traditional instruments, which I record. Uh, I have this kalimba and some flute from Uganda, which I improvise sometimes with them, and I just get textures out of them. Yeah. And that's also really nice to hear. With software, it could be easy to make something in a different country, which could risk sounding, I guess, generic. But with Joseph, it captures a proud sense of home, environment and heritage. And it's lovely to know that he's including instruments from Africa in there. I love that. Well, here's us talking about his music, but where can you hear it? Joseph, you have the floor. I'd send them to my band camp. Because, um, yeah, there's like so much different, not styles of music, but like different feel or like just my exploration or experiments. Yeah, for example, this year I, I put out three records and all of them are maybe quite similar, but different in the sound palette that I'm using. And yeah, just K. Mario on Bandcamp, I think would be the best 
days to explore because I also trying to like just put music there specifically there unless it's like a labeled release and I have to put it everywhere yeah definitely visit his page as you'll find a number of absolutely sublime recordings ready for your ears what would I recommend in particular I mean seriously you could just dive in you won't go wrong trust me Joseph I'd like to thank you so much for joining us here at Blue Mind and for sharing some of your story and music with us all it's been a true pleasure and I really look forward to what comes along in the future. Thank you so much, Joseph. Nice, thank you. <laughs> you are listening to the Blue Mind podcast from Heckles. From the world of sonic manipulation and audio experiments to a world that will exist entirely in your own head and hopefully transfer to your entire body. Yes, this is the place where, in the Blue Mind podcast, we move gracefully into the thought break. We don't take up space in your listening environment to advertise anything. We give you time to ponder on what you've just heard, make some notes in the mental pinboard, make yourself a drink if that's where you're at. But I know this is a podcast listener myself, your instinct might be to skip ahead and automatically leap to the forward button. But let's try this instead. Leave this moment on, uninterrupted, and let your mind wander. And if you're in a place where it can happen, just indulge in the act of not having to do anything with your ears and mind other than hear sound. I'm using today's thought breaks to mix together some of my own field recordings, made over the years and recorded on all kinds of different devices. For thought break number one, I'm going to bring in some sounds from the town of Luang Prabang in Laos, Southeast Asia, with various layers of goodies to treat your ears. Please enjoy. I'll bring you back in in a couple of minutes. See you soon.
Welcome back. How was it? You know what? You don't have to answer. I hope it was great. Back here in the Blue Mind bubble, of course, we still have a glorious meditation coming up from our good friend Lottie, which is coming in the final third of the podcast. Right now, though, it's time to make yourself cosy and as comfortable as your situation allows. Turn your listening device up a couple notches and indulge in some more treats from the extensive ambient music universe. Justin, the floor is yours. So my name is Justin Robinson. I'm a musician and a sound artist. Yeah, right now I live in this tiny little town called Aromas, but I kind of seem to find myself moving around the Monterey Bay every uh, couple of years. So yeah, around Monterey area. Sorry, Justin, just quick, I'll give you a second to make any little adjustments if you like. Absolutely. I'm actually going to turn my microphone down a little bit because I was slightly clipping, but I think I'm good. (laughs) That is very considerate, Justin. Thank you kindly. So I think a good place to start is how Justin got into ambient music and his journey there. How did he make the leaps and bounds? Totally. I guess when it came to starting ambient music, I was super into Brian Eno, and I was specifically really into the generative music that he was doing, like his album Reflection and uh, Music for Airports. The idea of building a system and then letting the music kind of create itself from that system was really appealing to me. I, I had been working as an independent contractor for a writer. My day job, I'm a copywriter, is mostly what I do. So I've been working from home and creating that, that kind of music requires a lot of tinkering and then listening. So I found that creation process worked really well with my working process because I could work on, uh, you know, adding sounds and creating rules and things like that and then listen while I'm working. And I I try to hit that balance of music that's like nice in the background and, and that doesn't necessarily like pull your attention away so that you can create a nice atmosphere, um, but also something that you can listen to actively and, you know, really enjoy and get something out of. This is something so fiendishly tricky and deceptively simple with ambient music, that balance. There is a truly fine line between foreground and background. And because with some of it, there is a very minimal sonic palette, it might seem like an easy thing to pull off. Justin mentioned Brian Eno's Music for Airports. A simple Google will reveal essay on essay about the makings of it and its history, and deservedly so. It's a gorgeous album, one which isn't just simple piano and synth notes played in a minimal sequence. Everything has a place, and the composition parts were kind of programmed ahead of time. But when everything starts, you're hearing tape loops going in and out of sync with each other, while retaining its relaxed and measured pace. Eno said of the album that it was designed to be as ignorable as it is interesting. I think that nicely sums up that balance of foreground and background. Speaking of loops. So with an album like Listen. That's one of Justin's albums, which I'll link to in the show notes. What I'm doing is uh, recording a few tracks and they're getting looped. And so you kind of, you make a sound and then it, kind of comes back around and cycles and over time it starts to slowly decay creating that way where you're you're not totally sure how it's going to sound once you get three or four different you know instruments or, or or sounds going on the experimentation and listening it's a lot different than saying okay i'm going to play these four chords and i like this melody in my head and so i'm going to bring that out 
I think that having a, a less structured compositional style, it tends to make less strong melodies, I guess. I think this is kind of what I'm hinting at, that ambient music can have a very thought out and planned approach, or the approach can contain rules and codes that the notes and chords must follow. Sometimes it can be composed in linear fashion, and sometimes it can be kind of scheduled, almost like the area for the music has been carved out, and then when the tap is turned on, the music flows into it. But it's not all free-flowing and without pattern. It can be, but with the mention of turning on a tap and music flowing, invoking the idea of a river, maybe that too can be an analogy. Sometimes calm on the surface, but with so much happening underneath. I mean, there's a lot of ambient music that still kind of will stick to like a four chord pattern. And, you know, our brains are just so good at picking up patterns that once it starts to detect it, it can't help but kind of focus on it, you know, kind of listen to that. Yeah, you, you kind of listen and then you ah, found it and you can snap your finger to it and figure out, oh, this is where it's uh, repeating. <laughs> So making music that's um, either there's no pattern to it or that the pattern is it's too complicated to figure out, then your brain, I think, can just, if you're listening to it passively, can just enjoy it and take it in. And then, you know, when you're listening actively, you can kind of, what's going on here? You know, I hear that sound and I hear that sound and they keep playing at different times. And so you, you, you can do the work actively if you want. Yeah. There are some links with forms of meditation and ceremony too. You might know this if you've been fortunate enough to attend the cacao ceremony, which can be found in Margate, and I'd like to shout out Sorrel from the Chamomile Clinic on that note. Sometimes it's a structure that our active minds like to play with, which can be a rhythm or pulse. In a cacao ceremony, it's the beating of a drum. And while that part of our brain is busy, the rest gets some time to party. I would recommend a cacao ceremony if you ever get a chance, by the way. They're wild. Anyway, let's get back to Justin for now. So I was curious about Justin's origin story, like where he grew up and how he spent his time as a kid. So I grew up in southwest Louisiana. I live in California now in a very small farm town. There was pretty much a pop music station and a country music station, and that's mostly what we had. And uh, when I got into high school, you know, some friends and I, we decided to, I don't know, be rebellious and start playing rock music. You know, we decided to form a band having none of us ever played an instrument before. <laughs> so I started learning uh, guitar. I was really into like Red Hot Chili Peppers, Jack White and Tom Morello. These kind of, I, I feel like they were the guitar kind of heroes of, of my time growing up in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, you know, I, I kind of poorly played guitar uh, with friends for the next several years into college. So really, it was mostly just playing with friends in a room together. I borrowed a friend's kind of four-track recorder and would make some kind of weird, I wouldn't quite call them ambient compositions, but more just weird noodling and strange kind of sounds. Just uh, the sound of like a teenager trying to figure out how to make interesting noises. <laughs> I could relate so much to this. Back in my teens, I was recording all kinds of noise from turntable to tape and getting into those manual tape loops and things like that too. A laborious way of making a sampler loop, basically, but fun to get good at. It's kind of like being good at making a fire from scratch after using an oven all your life. 
But back to Justin. And in 2010, some friends and I were like, no, let's like really start a band and start playing. So we were we were really into rock and funk music. So we started this uh, really goofy band called Go Granny Go. And uh, it was really sort of derivative Red Hot Chili Peppers kind of style, funk and rock. And in that band, I had mostly been playing guitar. I had picked up bass every now and then. So I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy a bass and learn to play bass in this band. And that was my first experience really writing a lot of music. I did a lot of the composition for that band, mostly starting songs by improvising on bass, recording things, and then building them up kind of with the whole group. I started spending a lot of time doing ambient music and ASMR. So I really started that beginning of 2019. I got interested in the idea of sound kind of creating you know, part of your atmosphere that you're in and how much that can influence you the same way that light can and smells can and things like that. I started playing with generative ambient music. I used a program called uh, Watcha, which is kind of a generative compositional tool. I'd never heard of Watcha before speaking to Justin, but after a look at some tutorials and hearing him talk about it, of course, I was quickly sold. In fact, the music you're hearing underneath this very section was made using it, as were some of the other pieces in this podcast, so you can tell I became a rapid convert. At the start, it's unsettling, because you're setting up parameters, letting it go, and it actually mostly produces really nice layers of melody. It almost feels like it's too easy, but when you start fiddling with the settings and making it your own, it really begins to unfold. The tutorials are a very different style to most, though, not everyone will make it through lots of minutes of this. The settings screen contains two segments, general and randomization. In this screen, the general screen, we first of all have a sleep timer. If you set this, then when you are in an album or in flow mode, the app will stop playing when it reaches that time. We'll turn that off for now. Back to Justin. A sequencer in a way. So the way it works... Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a hidden gem out there, I think, in the in the music world. I wouldn't call it a sequencer. I wouldn't even call it a, a digital audio workstation, although I guess maybe technically that's what, that's what it is. But essentially you have, uh, sort of like any other DAW, you would create your instruments or use samples. And then instead of using like a, if you're if you're programming a drum beat, for example, you usually have a, a, a line of bars and you click play here, 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 and here. And what this program does is you say, well, I want to play this sound mm, once every three to ten seconds. And uh, these are the five possible notes that I want it to play whenever it plays a sound. And when that instrument plays, here's this other instrument, and these are the notes I want to harmonize with in that one. So it's really building the rules out, and then once you kind of have the rules set up, you press play and let it go. And then you, what usually happens is you say, wow, that's terrible. There's too much of this going on and not enough of that going on, and this note sounds bad with that note. So I would, I would do a lot of listening while I was working to the rules that I had set up, and then when I would take a break, I'd be like, okay, here's kind of what I felt from that, and go in and tweak some rules, and then start another hour of work and listen to what I'd, what I'd done and how it was going. And, you know, sometimes you do that for a couple of days and say, yeah, this is garbage, it's not doing anything. <laughs> and then sometimes you come out and say, like, oh, this is nice, I can enjoy this, and 
Sometimes some interesting things happen and maybe there's a lull where nothing really interesting happens. And I don't know, I really enjoyed that process. So I started releasing some of the pieces that I had been doing. For the recording process, basically what I would do is let it play for two or three hours and record the audio output. I knew I wanted to break it into different time segments. So I knew I wanted a track that would be roughly two and a half minutes, another one that would be roughly five minutes, and then around 15, and then around 20, 25. So I would listen and find where interesting things were happening and kind of cut those spots. And then that would be um, the album. So I did that for uh, my albums. Sleep Softly is the first one that I that I did, and Your Sanctuary, and Eden Generator, and Satellite, and there's a, there's a few more that I kind of coined as my generative series. So it's following in that line of Brian Eno's music for airports pretty perfectly. You set the rules up and let it go, and then capture the results, and after that, it's up to you. Some of his more generative production albums really make the most of this bottled style of production. They contain Justin's rules, output, and are basically constructed from his decisions of what stays and what goes. The effect this has on the mind of the listener, well, in my personal experience, is that of weightlessness, combined with pure enjoyment of notes being delivered all around you, seemingly at random. There's a freedom that comes with the experience, in that you no longer feel gridded. Like what Joseph mentioned earlier. I stopped using the metronome or like the grid to make my music. So I just approach it like on a very free, even sometimes just one take recordings. It feels like time is melting and what's left is undiluted musical pleasure. Really, I was making the music for myself to listen to while I was working. But I thought, I don't know, this is good. Let's let me see if other people enjoy it. And I submitted it to a a few playlist curators and it got picked up on a few and that was encouraging enough for me to say, okay, this seems maybe worth repeating and putting out more of this stuff. That positive feedback is so important. There are times when I'm sure we've all thrown some creative work out there to see what ripples it makes. I mean, earlier on today, I tried skimming a stone on the sea to see if I still had it. I can safely say that earlier on, I most certainly did not have it. And it's like that in some ways. You throw the project out there to see if it gains traction, skims more than twice or so, and gains momentum. Sometimes I don't. And then we can kind of justify taking our time on it because it leads us to the next thing or it contributes to our creative tapestries. But when things do take, it can be the fuel required to continue to explore the project. I've seen Justin's projects being released at a steady, prolific rate since I found his music on Bandcamp. And what he brings up next says it all. My personality type is I get really into things and then get distracted and really into other things. (laughs) And uh, I was really enjoying this particular mode of music. I've mostly been in, in rock bands and creating really structured kind of pop format songs before. So this was a totally different way of working than what I'd been used to and the music that I grew up listening to. So I said, this is something I'm interested in. I want to do it. I'm going to put out something once a month. And so I kind of just decided, okay, for the first Friday of every month, I'll, I'll put out a release. I, I don't know if I've ever stuck to anything as much as I have to this. And I, I kind of continually surprise myself. But I don't know, it's kind of like... Laws of motion, you know, there's always inertia, but once you break the inertia and you get 
into motion. And once you get into a pattern of doing things, it's, it's easier to keep going than it is to stop. Like for me to not put something out one month would be like, I, I think it would like hurt. <laughs> Back to the production though. So he was using this program called Watcher, which is amazing for making this generative style of music. But styles and practices evolve and the power of the loop made its way back, as loops do, into his work. Earlier this year, I switched my compositional style a little bit. I started using uh, looping as kind of the basis for what I'm doing. It's still generative in a way. It's, it's more kind of music for airports kind of generative, where I have, say, four different tracks, and I play, you know, let's just say I play a note, and every six seconds that will repeat and come back around and then I have another track where I play a little line and every 12 seconds that one comes back around and then another where it's like maybe 17 and 20 so the notes the notes are repeating over and over but you always hear music in relation to what's around it you know you hear a note and if that note's played over one chord it sounds beautiful and over another note it sounds sad you know so I I switched my compositional technique to this looping technique and I did that I think From Water was my first album that I did that uh, the listen I did that on there as well I was nervous about that because I had been doing this generative more programmatic generative the looping feels more natural in a way the compositions revolve more around cycles kind of repeating cycles and I like that <laughs> just a sort of a it, it just because it feels so natural because that's how you know everything around us kind of works in cycles whether it's the day and the seasons it's all in cycles especially the ocean because i live not terribly far from the beach here it's one of the reasons i i love living in california so much i'd like to take this chance to send a shout out to margate i think those of us living here can strongly relate uh there's something just so pleasing listening to ocean sounds listening to waves come in i think part of it's like just a white noise that's kind of satisfying those cyclical rhythms that are just so natural i don't know i've always been drawn to that idea i've done some recording of uh, the beach down here i haven't got to use it in any of my compositions yet but i intend to because if i'm playing with looping and cycling then the sounds of waves coming you know splashing on the beach is kind of a perfect kind of complement to that I mean, even the fact that sound is made up of what we call waves, it's all a perfect harmony. Sound cycles, waves, the circle itself, it all goes together so effortlessly, or maybe better, so naturally. Even analog recording and playback gear, it's reels and tapes which wind round in circles, and we play it back in circles. Cassettes, records, just rotating circles of sound. I mean, even CDs, though they're digital and mini-discs, they're all circular or contained circles. It just intrinsically feels right. So before we bid a farewell to Justin, allowing him to fade into reverberations in our heads, I wanted to ask him about ASMR. This is something that has been gaining such awareness over the last decade or so, not far from the larger awareness of cold water benefits, Wim Hof and so on. Over the years, it's felt like people have slowly got to grips with how to talk about it, let alone get the initials in the correct order. ASMR stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. Which means what exactly? Wikipedia breaks it down. A tingling sensation that typically begins on the scalp and moves down the back of the neck and upper spine. 
a pleasant form of paresthesia. It has been compared with auditory tactile synesthesia and may overlap with frisson. That's it. That's absolutely it. (laughs) I've been following this on and off over the years, hearing about loads of people who have experienced this without realising what it was. A major trigger for ASMR responses in a lot of people a long time ago, before the sensation was what you could call a thing, I guess, was a friendly, neighbourly Floridian painter with an exquisite head of hair called Bob Ross. A little sunlight in these clouds. I'll make a happy little cloud today. Happy little cloud. Okay. Decide where your cloud lives. Maybe he lives right in here. Take the corner of the brush and just make tiny little circles. Tiny little circles round and around and around. Don't stay in one place. One of the most common sources that people say, you know, growing up, I didn't know what ASMR was, but I would watch like Bob Ross videos and he's like speaking softly and painting. And it's kind of, yes, it's relaxing. And then you hear the paint and the scraping of the the canvas and things like that. Uh, For UK listeners, think Tony Hart, but well, very different. Okay, then while we're on it, how does Justin describe ASMR as somebody who is pretty well versed in the world? ASMR really refers to, as in the purest sense, as kind of a, a physiological response to uh, certain stimuli. The stimuli are often sound-based. Things like really soft spoken and whispering. Sometimes tapping, scratching sounds. Sometimes uh, the sound of like breath or blowing, uh, which even wind is good for. And the response is kind of a tingling feeling that people feel usually on their neck or around their, the base of their scalp, even on their shoulders and back. Not everyone feels this, and people that do feel it feel it to different degrees. Some people feel it very strongly. When I've heard people talk about it, they've often been experiencing it their whole life. But when they find out the term for it, the response is usually... Right. That's what you call it. So how does this all tie into his music? He's been working on a lot to do with this whole world, or even scene, I guess you could call it. Releasing albums and streaming live on Twitch and so on, with projects and themes based all around it. I asked him how he manages to tie in with his music production. I was always interested in it, but it felt too different than the music that I was doing to just dive in and eventually I kind of just got over that and was like I don't know I really like these sounds plus ambient music is often mixed to sound like an environment or kind of sometimes far away and ASMR sounds are often very up close so sonically they actually can blend together very well so you get this combination of really up close sounds and textures and then also kind of distant far away things which i think helps to build out kind of the sonic landscape that you're in and then it kind of clicked like oh this this is how i can combine these things with music and asmr it just uh, i don't know it's just like the kind of moment of inspiration that was like ah this is how i can combine these two things that are similar enough they're both sound uh, but different enough that I, 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 it didn't make sense to me before how, how they could be combined. It's true, though. Often ambient music is heard in these sweeping, textured waves that can sound like the oral equivalent of an approaching storm cloud on the horizon or a clear pool as far as the eye can see. But this makes me think of the music Joseph Camaro is making. His style is very textual, and it's like it's being played in a huge cathedral at times or whispering in the fog but it also has the closeness of the field recordings, twigs, footsteps, and so on. 
I think he and Justin should talk. So in the same way that I found Justin's music on the popular music distribution website, Bandcamp, um, I would suggest that you take a minute to have a glance over his back catalogue and discography. And um, I asked him about some good places to start and some selected moments from his vast catalogue. In terms of uh, recommendations or where people should get started or how to listen, I'd say if you want some sleep music, my, my release Sleep Softly is a good place to start. I was, uh, again, that was the first release I put out and uh, a friend of mine took a trip and uh, he texted me and said, hey, I listened to your album on the plane and fell asleep like immediately. And I was like, that's amazing. And, you know, it's one of those things that before, if someone would tell me they fell asleep to my music, well, that would have seemed kind of rude. But now I take it as like high praise. <laughs> Last Chance is not a generative one, it's actually a uh, recorded, that's a guitar-based album. It almost doesn't sound like guitar because it's run through all this reverb. It's it's maybe the closest to kind of a post-rock-ish sound. There's no drums or anything like that, but there's a lot of echoey guitar in it. I'd say that's another sleepy one. From Water and Listen, I feel like that's the mode that I'm, I've been in lately. It's these looping sounds. From Water has this this audio from a recording, I, I think it was in Bali, from this like underwater uh, microphone. And so you get this real crisp sound and these um, kind of layered vocals over it. Uh, I was really interested, and I, I still am interested in, in vocal ambient work. It's not as common. So it's a nice crisp sound. And then uh, Listen is another with... Um, kind of a variety of there's some vocals in there there's a lot of really asmr focused sounds in there a lot of tapping uh on uh on a bottle i think and a little bit of scratching um some shaking of a water uh i like using water i feel like i kind of keep coming back to water in that imagery so that's something i'll continue to explore my album loopable asmr is probably a good place to start you know if you're looking at my catalog and maybe you're you're not really sure what asmr is i feel like that it's four tracks and it's a very kind of distilled version of these this is what this sounds like this or this is my kind of take on what asmr is and so the first track is uh, me i have a tea bag which i probably have here and i'm just kind of crinkling it and it's you know, it, it almost sounds like kind of a crackling fire. So I'm using that and then this little frog and it's kind of echoing. And so those, those kind of repeat and uh, so loopable ASMR if you're interested in, in the ASMR aspect. And then, but again, From Water and Listen are probably the best uh, examples that I have now of what I'm doing in terms of combining the ASMR and ambient music. I did kind of promise up top that this would be a musical geek out. And I don't know about you, but I could listen to Justin talk about this stuff forever. I can talk forever, so just cut me off if I'm rambling. <laughs> but I feel like that is a good point to close the circle for the time being, gently nudge the volume fader down for now, and thank Justin for his time, expertise, and general greatness here on the Blue Mind podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I'm sure you want to go and explore his music immediately. So thank you to you, Justin, for being part of Blue Mind. Yay. Take it easy. And uh, yeah, nice chatting with you. And let's talk again soon. All right. So at this point in the Blue Mind podcast, let's allow some space for a pause of sorts, otherwise known as the thought break. We don't use the pauses to sell or advertise on the podcast. 
We use it as a cleansing space to unwind, unravel, shake, stretch, wind down, whatever feels good for you. Get up, sit down, or just hold a cup of something and stare out the window. You have full permission to use this time as a gift to yourself with no judgment or inner criticism. I'll put some sounds together for you here as a little sonic patchwork, just so the silence isn't too deafening. Inspired by the talk of field recording and capturing rogue sonics, I'm going to dip into some of my own archives here and layer up some goodies from all around the map. I caught some lovely sounds on my minidisc recorder back in the 2000s on a couple of journeys out to Barcelona and New York, and I'd really like to pair them together, so let's find out together what happens with those two mix. Back with you soon. Welcome back to the Blue Mind podcast from Heckles. I'm Buddy Peace, I've been your host and narrator throughout, and it's been an absolute pleasure to guide you through these busy waters of, for this episode, ambient music, ASMR, field recording, and music production goodness on the whole. So far, we've heard from musicians and creators Joseph Kamaru and Justin Robinson. But now, as I promised back in the introduction, we'll spend some time in the lavish confines of the Heckles House Meditation Labs. It's my great honour to reintroduce you to the glorious Lottie, a therapist up in Haeckel's house, who has written and crafted a unique meditation for this episode of Blue Mind, which will give you an absolutely perfect space for thoughts, non-thoughts, visualisations and mental meanderings which you can take with you into the day, or if you're in the night right now, carry through to tomorrow. I'll be back at the end, returning calmly to sign off, but for now, dear listeners, may I reintroduce you to the wonderful Lottie. Hey, I'm Lottie. I'm going to guide you through a meditation today that will help you feel a sense of wholeness. It's so easy to become overwhelmed by mental energy and lose the connection to our bodies. We can look at meditation as a meeting place of the mind and body. 
It unifies the two. They begin to work in harmony and we become whole. In the present moment, the mind can feel what's going on in the body. And we can start off this connection by simply observing our breathing. So firstly, sit comfortably, hold the crown of your head towards the sky. Relax your shoulders, just let them drop down away from your ears and align your spine so it's tall and straight. And then bring your awareness to the surface that you're sitting on. Let your body grow heavy, knowing that it's fully supported. And just stay here for five long, deep breaths. As you inhale, feel your rib cage expand. Hold for a second and then feel it relax as you exhale. You could even say the word relax on the exhale. So we'll breathe in, two, three, four, hold for a sec and then exhale. Breathe in, hold, and then breathe out, relax, and breathe in, hold for a sec, and breathe out, relax, and breathe in, and out. And breathe in again. Relax. By simply allowing yourself to be present like this, we're holding the meeting of the mind and body and surrendering all that mental energy, giving ourselves a release. You might feel challenging emotions rising or have random thoughts pop into your head as that mental energy tries to reassert itself. You can act as a curious observer to these thoughts. Allow the thought or emotion space to be there Let it rise and fall, just like a wave. And then come back to the present moment. That mental energy that had been caught up in cycles of worry and fear is now used as love and trust in the flow of life. Surrendering to the present moment might be scary but take that leap of faith and remind yourself that you are safe. So now we're gonna take five more deep breaths. So we breathe in, 
hold and then breathe out, relax. And then breathe in. And breathe out. And breathe in again. And breathe out. And in. And breathe in and out. Relax. Remind yourself that you are doing a great job. You're doing your best and that's enough. Breathe in love and acceptance into your heart. And then whenever you feel ready, then come back into the room. The Blue Mind podcast was produced, arranged and scored by me, Buddy Peace, for Heckles. Infinite thanks to our guests, Joseph Kamaru and Justin Robinson for providing their time so generously. Links will be provided, of course, for you to follow their journeys. And of course, to Lottie for her beautiful meditation. Blue Mind is the name of an excellent book by Wallace J. Nichols, which is essential reading for anyone with an interest of all things sea-related. Thank you so much to Wallace for spiritual inspiration for this podcast. The Blue Mind podcast is produced for Heckles, who you can find online at heckles.co.uk, and that is spelt H-A-E-C-K-E-L-S, or physically at 18 Cliff Terrace, Margate, which you'll find up near the old Lido. You can also follow Heckles on Instagram over on at Heckles for product updates ocean-based positivity and innovations from all over the world. There are regular posts and stories, so it's almost like a constantly evolving blog of sorts. Loads for you to get lost in. We're also on Spotify where I compile weekly playlists. Just do a quick search for Heckles on Spotify. You'll find us. Playlists are over an hour or more of blissful sonics and beautiful music from around the world, compiled and selected by hand without any algorithm assistance. Each week is unique, and it's like an escape button if you need it. And also on the Heckles website, I would encourage you to sign up for the mail out, which is a weekly mail drop of inspiration and all-round goodness for your Sunday evenings. Most importantly of all, though, so many thanks to you all for listening and being a part of this. It's a thrill that you're here and listening to the end. Thank you. <laughs>